Welcome to Dragon Talk. Live studio audience here in beautiful, sunny Santa Monica, California. <laughs> we'll be back in two and two. <laughs> I am Greg Tito, and today I am joined by Kate Welch. You are. Hi, Kate. That's me. Hi. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be your substitute, Shelly. You are a wonderful... I am a low-rent Shelly, and <laughs> that is the... that Like, I want that on my tombstone. Low-rent Shelly was born man's here. Shelly Mezenoble. <laughs> 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 no, not at all. You're a, you're a rich man's Shelly. No, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but we're happy to be here. Shelly's, of course, on vacation, uh, doing things that pe- normal people do during the summertime. Going to New York. watermelon, uh, swimming in the pools, getting a tan. Right now, she's getting a tan she right now. She better be wearing sunscreen. She better be wearing sunscreen or That's else. That's not a joke. There Everybody will be. wears sunscreen. Go put sunscreen on right now. Pause, the, pause this show. <laughs> Go put it on just in case you get some, some sun on Yeah. You. There could be rays coming in. You don't know. <laughs> well, you're definitely going to need sunscreen when you go to Avernus, right? Like, because there is a nonstop... No, never mind. You're looking at me like that was the worst <laughs> segue ever made by humans. Well, I don't know what level the sun shines down in Avernus. It seems to be well, this sort of you're the game like, designer, Kate. You're supposed to know these things. Good Lord. Okay, UV fine. UV light blasting in your eyes. There's no give sun. Us- there is no sun in Avernus. The, the clouds are a morass of red and gray and orange boiling over this endless plane of devastation. But above you, you can see no star. You can see no sun. No radiation touches you. This is an unnatural place. Unlike anything you've ever experienced before. How's that, Greg? That was amazing. Can we just do the entire show like that? Yeah, we can. <laughs> you can. I, you don't even need me. <laughs> just take care of it. Um, that sounds like you don't need sunscreen in Avernus, is what you're trying to say. No, you're good. <laughs> or, or in a fantasy realm altogether. We no, don't really cover that in the rules. That's the fact true. that you might get sunburn and get like levels of exhaustion. I, I feel like that's a that's a level of crunchiness that um, we probably don't want to get to in, in Dungeons and Dragons. But in your home game, if you'd like to introduce the concept of radiation burns <laughs> that do cause levels of exhaustion and perhaps some kind of, I don't know, chronic skin disease, yeah. you're welcome to. That sounds like gamma world territory there. It might be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. Uh, But anyway, my horrible segue aside, (laughs) Descent into Avernus is coming out on September 17th. Yay! Is it that soon? Yes! Holy crap! As we're recording this, it's like a month and a week away. Oh, look at that cover. crazy to think about. It's an amazing cover. All that hellscape that you were just describing is depicted on this cover. Hey, who painted that? Well, the one on the left, the one depicting Azariel reaching for her sword, was painted by one of our most popular cover illustrators, Tyler Jacobson. I would say he is the most popular, at least amongst people in this room. At least amongst people in this room who are engaged to be married to him, yes. Um, and then the other one is... The Our old- wedding is... <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Me so and Tyler. So happy for you too. I know. He's um, really cute. The other cover is Hydra 74, of course, who does um, lots of our alt covers at this point and is a, a just a masterful graphic designer. I really, really like his style. I love that image. It works really well as a t-shirt. We gave away t-shirts like yep, that. And a tote bag. At, at and a tote bag, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I gave those t-shirts to uh, young visitors in my house and they were so excited. He, wore it. he wanted to wear it like both to bed and to uh, going out the next day and then wear it again and then wear it again. He just cool. wanted it all the time. Speaking of someone who has a skull tattooed on her chest, mm. uh, having a t-shirt with a skull on it is like the next best option. Exactly. Right. You have layers. Can people actually buy those shirts anywhere or were they, they just the swag? cannot. Those are just swag that we gave away. Nice. Uh, you have to come to the office like... 
Goldie Chan, our interview yeah. uh, for this Dragon Talk. She will definitely be getting a descent to Avernus shirt. Yes. Oh, she's going to look so good in it, too. She is going to look good. Uh, she's a fantastic uh, member of the D&D community, mm-hmm. cosplay community, uh, as well as having a, uh, a whole LinkedIn video career, mm-hmm. uh, making videos for that platform as well as on Forbes. And we can't wait to pick her brain on a number of topics. She apparently worked as a social media director for Critical Role, too. I know. Which I didn't realize. That's pretty exciting. This, this is a hustler. She's hustling. If you were going to put her in a class, yeah. that would be the class. Yeah, the character, hustler class. Character class hustler. <laughs> now we that's have to a, design that's it. That's a subclass of the rogue, I think. Uh, yeah, I would say that. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think I think uh, uh, most content creators in today's like new media world would be hustlers. Yeah, probably yeah. so. I like yeah. that. Now I want to make a bard that's a hustler, though. All right. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Um, so, yeah, we talked about uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, September 17th. Also coming out that day is... Uh, Battle for Baldur's Gate, the Dungeon Mayhem expansion, <gasps> which I'm Ooh. really excited about. Is this our first Dungeon Mayhem expansion? It is the first expansion, yes. That is so cool. Two new characters yeah. will be added to the four decks you get in the original Are we allowed uh, to say game. which characters they yes, are? Yes, we are. Which characters? I know one of them is Jahira. The shape-shifting druid yep. from uh, Baldur's Gate yep. series, who you have known well from Welch's Game Juice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jahira um, has, in my latest save, she's the only one who can resurrect people, and she's dead, so I'm, <laughs> I'm very, I'm, I'm trucking through a very difficult dungeon right now without her, and I miss her so much. Like, come back yeah, to us. Yeah, so we got Jahira, and then the other? Minsk and Boo. Minsk and Boo. One character, uh, one character deck, two characters, obviously, but they uh, are super fun. The artwork is extremely, um, I don't know, evocative, uh, different from the original artwork. Uh, more oh, cool. New artist. New artist. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. That's awesome. Um, and now I need to scroll to where the name of the artist oh, yeah. is so that we've I can got actually the, shout them out. We've got the art. There's up. the art being shown yeah. right oh, there. Oh, it's so cute. Yes. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Jahira is a druid. Um, Minsk and Boo. Boo is a ranger who keeps Minsk as a pet, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> uh, but he's a miniature He's a, he's a giant. miniature giant space hamster with a, with a ranger as a pet. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Um, the artist is Jake Parker, uh, who oh, is the founder of the art challenge you might have seen, Inktober. Have you ever seen Inktober? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's the one who started that whole thing. So That's a huge deal. It is. I always get excited, as Shelley was saying, we get excited just for October popping up on our, on our Twitter feeds and being like, whoa, look at that amazing thing. So much good stuff comes up from that. That's yeah, exactly. Awesome. So we'll be talking to him as we get closer to uh, when that is out as well as in Inktober. So that'll be fairly fantastic. Uh, what else is coming down the pipe? Well, we've got some things we haven't announced yet. Let's but do it. One thing that we have announced uh, that you were alluding to earlier. Well, first, before we move off of Descent to Avernus, you've yeah. got a thing going on this weekend. I do. Okay, let me see if i got to talk about it in the right way. So we were invited by IGN mm-hmm. to come down to their headquarters in San Francisco. They've just built some cool new video studios. Um, and they uh, invited me to come DM a game for them. Uh, well... I'll be clear. They invited Chris Perkins. <laughs> uh, and I was invited to be a player, and Chris Perkins said, no, thank you. And so I was, they were like, all right, well, I guess Kate could DM it. So I'm DMing a, a Nevernus game down there for a bunch of folks at IGN and um, get to see their headquarters and take a tour and meet all of them. Um, one of the outlets that came to The Descent to interview us was IGN. Yeah. And so I got to meet a couple of those folks, one of them being um, John Borba, who's the one who is kind of coordinating this whole thing and they were just they were just peaches they are so kind and so cool i don't think ign has done a lot of live play D content mm-hmm. so uh, you know i don't exactly know what they're gonna do with this game but we'll see we'll see it's gonna be fun it's exciting too because you know ign has been this 
institution in the video game Seriously. world for such a long time. I'm kind of geeking out about it. Yeah. Like IGN has always been this pinnacle of of like that's where you go for uh, game reviews and previews and everything oh, news. I, it was always a stop for me, especially when I was a, a video game developer. Right. I, IGN coverage was a really really big deal. So I I'm definitely geeking out about going IGN. And I love that they're delving more into tabletop. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about it more when Goldie Chan, uh, when Goldie Chan is here. We'll uh, ask her it, yeah. if it's Chan or Chan. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, that um, uh, The fact that like the, the tabletop uh, role-playing genre is getting more traction, traction amongst mainstream people and there's like this no longer this separation between like what's video game content, what's tabletop content, and IGN wanting to invite you to their offices and, and be a part of this is a big, a big like just stepping stone, I think. It's huge. I'm really, really excited. Yeah. I, I hope it goes well and I do a good job and they want to invite us back. <laughs> All of those things will occur, I'm sure. So. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about who's traveling with you? Is that, yeah. is that a secret? Well, one of the players at my table for this game will be the aforementioned Tyler Jacobson, your fiance. Um, and <laughs> I let him go. I, I thought it was cool that he needed to go with you. That's really, yeah, thank you very much. You can trust us. <laughs> Um, but no, he because he did the cover illustration. Uh, he is also the little little known fact very new to fifth edition as a player. Yeah. So although he's been doing D and D illustrations for us, countless of them for a decade. Right. He's done he, the player's handbook cover yep, that we know and love. Yep. Uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yep. He's, um, he did the, uh, the DM, DM screen reincarnated. Yep. The giant red dragon DM screen. Um, the the uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal. And Descendant to Avernus um, and Volo's Guide. Uh, he's he's just he's done a ton, um, and that's just fifth edition. He's also done a, a crap load of uh, fourth edition work too. Mm. But since he did this cover, um, and he also just recently this week played fifth edition with me for the very first time. He'd never played it before. He was a second edition kid, yeah. And so he he played it, and he was brilliant. And so he has he has agreed to play it at the table and. Um, charm everyone. That's going to be a real he's treat. so good. That's yeah. going to be a real treat he's for folks. He gets nervous around cameras and I'm just like, just pretend they're not there. Yeah. Or pretend they are. <laughs> and, and be just nervous. talk right into them <laughs> and address the people at home. That's the way to do it, right? That's Get right. Inside give me, your soul. Give me that close up, Pelham. Get real close. Yeah. Uh, okay, for the podcast, Pelham's We're all in. zooming in on Kate's face. <laughs> she is, her eyes are locked <laughs> with Pelham's and everyone else in the audience. <laughs> And all of your ears are listening to her power take over <laughs> oh, your mind. I'm sorry, this is good audio content right here. <laughs> Have you guys noticed that the pop filters on these microphones are making this podcast sound like butter? Thank you. I installed them myself, <laughs> um, and I take all the credit for it. I know you are an audio technophile. I know about the, all the the moist the moist sounds. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lot better, like improv uh, fantasy uh, stuff than you are uh, really technical bad. audio equipment I'm jokes. Really bad. I had to uh, at one point on the C team. I was I'm playing this character who is very boat themed. Like she knows a lot about boats, and I didn't know anything about boats. This was way before I worked here. Worked yeah. on Ghost of Saltmarsh. I know a lot about boats now, um, but in, I had to improv as like a person who knows about boats, who who's you know played by a character, a person who doesn't. Um, so we ended up inventing a lot of terms <laughs> on the C team. So like the top of a boat, the boat hat. The back of the boat is the boat ass, <laughs> and, the, and the front of the boat is the boat nose. Um, and so, so, so when you're working on a boat and you work in the back of the boat, you're like, "I'm a boat ass man." I'm a boat ass man. <laughs> the only thing that was consistent between reality and fantasy was poop deck, <laughs> for obvious reasons. 
But I remember when it was announced that I was working on Ghost of Salt Rush, I got so many comments of people being like, is there going to be a boat hat? <laughs> I should have worked it in, but you I was really afraid. Should've. I was afraid. You should design like a special magic item that you can put on your, on your vehicle. On your boat. And it's a boat hat. And we can do we could do customizables. They could be they could be uh, like Adventurers League items. You could get an a, an array of boat hats, yeah. and you you trade them out, um, and they give your boat different effects. All right, stay tuned. As long as one of them has, we're like doing live game development Bodie here. Bodie McBoatface uh, as one of the obviously. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I like it. I, I like it. it. Uh, so uh, before we move on to our segment, let's talk real quick about Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons. Or, now, no, I'm sorry. That's the comic. That's the comic. That's Painscape <laughs> 2. We'll talk to Jim Zub about that. But we also have Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty, the tabletop role-playing game experience. Yes. What is the release date on that? That November, is right? November 19th. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that has been – I'm actually looking now, right now, at the laid-out versions that mm-hmm. Emmy – our, our aforementioned flu, uh, flu-ridden Hawaiian goddess designer. Um, she is she has just delivered to me the the final layouts in PDF for what those will look like. Ooh. So I'm reviewing those over the next week, and um, it's it is bananas. It's so good. She's she told me that she was distracted when she was reading the adventure content, which is the part that I wrote a lot of mm-hmm. um, because she was cracking up and it was amazing so i was like yes yes if it's even if it's just fun to read this adventure then and and we've already play tested it and i've gotten a lot of good feedback on it but there was actually a guy at the descent mm-hmm. when he came through the signing line for the D team um and i was sitting at the very end and he leans down he was like hey i've got to play test the the thing that you worked on and he brought out this little mini figure of morty he's like i got i was one of the play testers on this now i was like oh <gasps> What? What'd you think? What'd you think? And his his play group was with him. Like two of his players were with him in line, and they were like, "Dude, it's amazing. We had so much fun. We were cracking up." I was like, "Yay!" Because you never know, right? right? It's the scariest thing in the world to to create to write something, and you're just like, "I hope this is fun and entertaining." But I, I I said this on Twitter once a while back. It's like riding a roller coaster with no safety bar over you. You're just like, ah. I guess this is going to work. I have no idea because no one's ever done a, a ridiculous over-the-top adventure like this Rick and Morty one before. So Yeah. It's <laughs> broken Shelly. She's gone on record as saying like she, you, got, it broke you, her. you had to stop a, a playtest because she could not speak Yeah, we have anymore. video of that that we haven't released yet. So what we have this just this clip of us trying to play Dungeons & Dragons and then like 90 seconds of Shelly weeping. <laughs> She said that she said she went home that night to take off her makeup and just nothing came off <laughs> because she had cried it all off during the game. And that's what we want with yeah. a, with a, yeah. a, a, a box product like this. So it'll have everything you need to play yes. Dungeons and Dragons. It's yes. basically like it's not a starter set. It's not something that like no. new players should definitely get into, but it it has everything you need for that that evening, right? Now, new players can get into it because there's a rule book, yeah, and there's an adventure. There's dice. There's a DM screen. Um, and then there's pre-gen character sheets. So technically, yes, you could. This could be the only thing that you need to play Dungeons and Dragons. But because it is such a weird adventure, uh, it is, uh, I would say, atypically designed with lots of Rick commentary scattered throughout. This should not be taken as indicative of what a traditional game of Dungeons and Dragons plays like. Just to keep that in mind. But I think Rick and Morty fans will love it. D and D fans who don't know Rick and Morty might think it's weird, but it's fun. That's the play, the play test feedback we got it's yeah. like yeah i had a lot of fun with this i didn't understand a lot of the references but i've never watched rick and morty so that's you know that's that's an audience that you might you might end up being like this rick and morty brand of humor is great 
I'd love to know more. Yeah. <laughs> which is great because Adult Swim has ordered 70 more episodes of it, which what? could could last as long as seven seasons. It wasn't just like, oh, we'll renew you guys for another season. It's 70 episodes. 70 episodes? Yeah, That's yeah. That's a lot of episodes. And they're starting that their, their new batch of content. The new season is in uh, November as well. So yes. I, I think we timed this box set to launch right around the same time. Which is perfect. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. I think so So November too. 19th, look for that. Um, we got some more fun stuff coming uh, that we can't talk about just yet, but we will be talking about that very soon uh, for the end of this year. Like and what? I, <laughs> blink, you know, that thing. Blink twice if it's the thing. Oh, oh, right. Three times. <laughs> I know, right? That's because it's an extra thing on top of that thing. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> We're changing it all up. Um, but I'm very excited about the, what we've been uh, planning for this last uh, half of 2019, and it's only going to get better as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of things that only get better with time, do you want to listen to the dulcet tones of Chris Perkins talk about some, some lore? Oh, God. I would like nothing more than that. Let's do that. All right. All right. Let's get the bings and bongs happening. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. How goes it? Pretty good. Today on this segment where we delve into D&D lore for your fun and edification, we are doing something a little different in that we have many small topics that we will be rolling a six-sided die to see which one is the first and you know last like and next thing that will come up. Uh, many of these topics came from suggestions from the community, from you guys. So thank you for for uh, mentioning them. Not all of them are uh, you know full segment topics. So we wanted to get them out there, and this seemed like a fun way to do it. All right, you ready? Sure. I'm gonna roll the die and try to get the first one. Oh, it is the sixth one, and it's Gem Dragons. Gem Dragons? Gem Dragons. Holy smokes. Shout out to uh, Alexander Stein. He was one of the people uh, uh, on Twitter who uh, mentioned this as a topic. Gem Dragons are the third category of dragons that nobody knows about. There's chromatic. Yes. Metallic. Yes. Gematic. <laughs> Flematic. Uh, <laughs> all the humors. Can we have like a phlegm dragon? All right, now the we're humor dragons. The humor dragons. <laughs> I like fun. that. They're funny and silly. But there are only four, right? Humors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, that's a problem. Yeah, right. You need more than that. Because they, you know, we do sets of five. Yes, exactly. So, all right. So, gem dragons. So, they're the neutral? You yes. Say? Yeah, they are the. <laughs> Neutral ambivalent dragons. Yes. Uh, but essentially, they are a, a family of dragons like the chromatics and the metallics, except they're gem-themed. And they, the other thing that distinguishes them from normal dragons is their propensity for psionics. Oh, all right. That makes sense. So I forgot they, that. They like they, they have, they have innate psionic abilities in addition to their usual dragon stuff, which actually kind of makes them... Um, I, I, it's not clear to me. I think the psionics were done originally just for flair. Yeah, to make them feel different from the other dragons. It's not like these dragons have some huge hard-coded, hard-coded world reason why they're sonically endowed. It's just that's, that's the way they are. That's just what it was. What was the? Right. You don't remember when they were introduced? Oh, they go all the way back to first edition. Oh, um, they first started to pop up in a Dragon Magazine article of yore, and uh, haven't and actually have changed very little over the years um, in in terms of. Uh, you know, what they are and what place they have. But they are, unlike the good metallics and unlike the evil chromatics, they kind of sit in the middle and are fairly ambivalent and also secretive and remote. Um, Forgotten Realms, uh, uh, Ed Greenwood wrote a series of Forgotten Realms articles back in the day called Worms of the North, where each 
each month he tackled a different worm, and occasionally he did touch on gem dragons. Uh, gem dragons. Uh, I think one of them, Seren Dalaglothtor, was a um, a gem dragon. Uh, there was another one. Um, uh, I don't think Eldancer is a gem dragon, um, but there's there's there were a couple others that he did as well, uh, just to show that they're in the world, but very very rare. Interesting, and that's yeah. why we have they're they're less well yeah. known than the others. And part of it too is we haven't given them the same amount of attention as metallics and chromatics, and they've never gained the same amount of traction as our core dragons. Part of it might be is that um, it's a. Um, it's a little bit contrived, but that's okay. Yeah, people who love gem dragons love them, and I th- and they match up to different um, elemental powers similar to chromatics and metallics, right? So yeah. like the topaz dragon always has a mm-hmm. uh, fire. Yeah, they've always they've got their they've got their themes or their 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 theme um, breath weapons and things like that. In some cases, it's not purely elemental, like the sapphire dragon has a high pitched sonic. Oh, um, breath weapon. Yeah. Which I guess would translate now into thunder damage. Yeah. Um, one of them actually spits an ovoid, an exploding ovoid at you. Um, things like that. Oh, so like yeah. a capsule. Like <laughs> <laughs> and then it explodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so they've got, they've got a weird uh, selection of, of breath weapons. Um, their looks have changed slightly from edition to edition as different artists have tackled them, becoming more gemmy or less gemmy. Um, more solid, less, more translucent, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but they all have their own like specific uh, feel to they them. They got their right? specific feel like the and they have different layers and yeah, all that kind of thing. And so um, the last time, the most recent time we tackled them, I believe, was in fourth edition mm. in one of the Draconomicons oh, uh, right. for that edition. That makes sense. And um, but, but So you mentioned Sapphire. Is there Diamond? Is there yeah. a Diamond? Diamond, I think, is the big one. I think that's like the, the gold or the red dragon of the... Of the Gem family makes sense. Um, you mentioned topaz. Yeah. What else are there? Uh, there's crystal. Crystal. It's a, it's a Christmas themed dragon. Christmas themed dragon. Sweet. Yay. Ornaments. They have little ornaments hanging off them. <laughs> <laughs> Their breath weapon is piney taste. Ooh, yeah. Amethyst, amethyst, crystal, emerald, sapphire, topaz are the main ones. Um, crystal's sort of weird because. Aren't all gems, crystals, and vice versa? Yeah. Right. Eh, whatever. Neat. Yes. And so, yeah, I like that the emeralds is a powerful burst of wind, breath weapon. Powerful burst of wind. We don't say what end it comes out of. I was just going to (laughs) say, what does it smell like? (laughs) Um, Is there, how, if you were going to use them in your game, how would you do it? Mm. And then we'll, and then we'll move on to another random topic. That is a good question. I think how I would use them in the game just to differentiate them is to say that one of the reasons why they're called gem dragons is because they like to hide in gems. And so you might find one lurking in a gem in a treasure hoard and pick up the gem and have it talk to you. And maybe, you know, this idea that maybe they retreat into gems or use gems as sort of receptacles or things like that. Or it's how they get around in secret and spy on people because they can hear and see out of the gemstone. Fascinating. So, like, like the the. That's not canon, by the way. I'm just making shit up. <laughs> <laughs> it's canon now. Uh, I love that, and that's another reason why they're so rare. Because yeah. you don't right. They they're very easy, easily yeah. hidden. Yeah. And I I also like the idea that if 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 you make something out of a crystal, that maybe the gem dragon hears about it and wants it, like you know, or or maybe it's a piece, uh, a broken piece off of a gem dragon or something like that. But that's my cousin. <laughs> 
Bring me back. Phil. <laughs> Your pendant looks nice, but it's family, man. Oh, my gosh. All right, awesome. Uh, I'm going to roll another uh, random number here. Blights is the blights. next topic. Okay. Let's talk about and blights. And who gave us, who, who wanted that one? Uh, I will look for it while okay. you start talking about it. All right. Blights were created, I believe, by Bruce Cordell um, for an adventure in third edition called The Sunless Citadel. Mm. And at first, uh, first blush, there were just one kind of blight, and they were called twig blights, which are cool little Blair Witchian stick men um, that, that, that scuttle around, and they're evil, malicious um, little creatures. The origin of them is uh, there was a vampire named Gultheus who died, and his blood saturated through the roots of a tree that grew and essentially became this evil tree, this twisted evil tree. Um, And from this tree, the twig blights were born. So each time a twig would fall off naturally off this tree, it would be like, or they'd crawl out of the ground, you know, around the base of the tree, or however you want to describe it. They were either parts of the tree or just sprouted out from the the tainted region of the tree. And so, uh, and these twig blights were... Central threats in the Sunless Citadel. When you got to the bottom of the Citadel, you'd run into these guys and you'd see the tree that, that, that they came from. That they came from. Yeah. Um, the tree itself is just a tree, really. But it, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't like flail around like a tree ant and swat you about or whatnot. So the blights, in a way, almost protect its parent. Uh, oh, I see. They're like the little yeah. uh, uh, guards. Right. Uh, now... In recent editions, starting with fourth, we enlarged the Blight family and had it swallow up some other creatures in the game that had already existed but weren't tied to the Galthius tree idea. Um, needle folk, which go all the way back to the first edition, Fiendfolio, when they were called Needle Men, yeah. um, became Needle Blights, another kind of spawn of this malignant tree. Mm. And Vine Horrors, which cropped up in third edition, were also swallowed up and became vine blights, which are a third type of blight that can spawn from these evil Gulfius trees. And so, um, so presently, that's the family. Twig blights, needle blights, and vine blights, all of which are similar in their malign disposition, this sort of neutral evil, um, uh, uh, malicious, misbehaving plant creatures. Um, Gross. Yes. And we wanted them in the game and, we, and they're, they're kept in the game because people like them because they're good low-level threats. They're creepy. Really creepy. Yeah. And uh, they're, they, you, they're one of the few evil plant monsters that we have in the game that have sort of gained any traction. Got it. Yeah. We've got shambling mounds. They're pretty cool. Not aligned, so not particularly malevolent. Um, so the Blights was really an opportunity for us to get evil plants in the game. I like it. Um, and as someone who just spent a week in the woods underneath several trees, many of them could, could be evil. Yes. There was lots of twigs. There uh-huh. was a lot of twigs. Yeah. Even yeah. just like a root you'd see. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick yeah. this up and put it in the fire. I'm and like, if, oh, you wait, that, if you hear that something. little twig crackling noise, that may, not be a, a, that may not be like a squirrel or a rabbit leaping on a twig. That might actually be a twig blight. I think it was. I think I saw at least two of them. Yeah. Yeah. In the fake yeah. wild of exactly. my camping site. Yeah. Awesome. So, so they're now in the game. Gulfius tree has become a term for trees of the type. Whereas back in the day when it was first created, it was a unique thing. Just a single one. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, shout out to Hostile Eldritch on Twitter for suggesting that topic. Uh, We will go with another one. I'm rolling a D4 now since we've used two topics. Oh, okay. 
Modrons. Modrons. We've covered Modrons a couple of times, but we have. It comes we up can a do, lot. We can do it really fast. Yeah, let's do it. Modrons are quirky geometrical creatures that live on the plane of Makanis. They are creatures of pure order and law, and they help keep the multiverse going. And the simplest one is a sphere with legs and little dopey wings, spindly little limbs. Then it goes up from there to multi-sided shapes like, hey, here's a pyramid, here's a cube, here's a lozenge or elongated uh, rectangle prism version of the, and so they have different geometrical forms and each level of Modron is a step up from the one below it and they become more geometrically intricate as you get up. But then there, there are base Modrons, which are like the, the grunts. Yeah. And then you hit a certain point in the hierarchy where it switches and they become hierarchs and they are the managers and middle managers of the Modron society leading all the way up to the high grand poobah of Modron's, the one and only Primus. Primus. Yes. Um, and he, he's the one who keeps Makanis moving. He's the one who creates new Modrons to replace ones that have been destroyed. And each time a Modron dies, it sort of disintegrates away, and then a Modron below it gets promoted to its place and transforms into a new form of Modron. So there's... Never a shortage of Modrons. They're always making more to replenish the ones that they lose. And they, the time of year or the, the time of the multiverse when they tend to lose the most Modrons is during the Great Modron March, which is this once every 289-year event where all the Modrons, for mysterious reasons, pack up their suitcases and head out for a march around the plains, like a giant conga line. And... They go out from plane to plane, threading their way through the multiverse until they finally wend their way back home. And nobody knows why they exhibit this strange periodic behavior. Not even Primus? Oh, I'm sure he knows, but he's not telling. Oh, okay. No, no one on, on our planes knows. Right. Yes. Um, why? And this, this question uh, comes from uh, the underscore DK uh, on Twitter. Um, they inhabit 64 cogs on Mechanus. Why 64? One times one is one. Two times two is four. Four times four is 16. Probably multiple, just eight times eight is 64. I think there's just a a nice, easy thing about 64. Um, At the time Modrons were were popularized, the Commodore 64 was also popular? Possibly. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) The whole idea of the rise of computers uh, and that kind of yeah-ness. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's even better, if it's relevant. Yeah, it's just because it was a, a cool round yeah. number. Yeah. Or maybe it means something. Maybe. I don't know. It's one of the numbers of the multiverse. Could be. Uh, I think uh, we should, um, you know, empower players and dungeon masters out there to figure out exactly why 64 is an important number in, yeah. in, in the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, cool. Um, and I want to give a shout-out to uh, Mazmataz, who has done cosplay as a, a Modron. Yes, and she uh, even gave my dog Milo a little Modron yarn doll to play with. Uh, they make such amazing uh, yarn she, I mean, things. They. Yes. Uh, I, I, I love I'm it. notoriously bad at that. Yeah, <laughs> it is a thing. Uh, I, uh, I love it. So, all right, great. Um, let us uh, move on to another one. I'm going to roll the die. Oh, Tarask. I got a one. Okay. Tarasks. Tarasks first appeared in the first edition Monster Manual 2, uh, introduced in the game to basically be the Godzilla of D&D. 
It is a kaiju monster, um, epic proportions, and a super high-level threat, and virtually unkillable. Uh, what, what was uh, what, when were they? What exactly? It was the first edition Monster Manual, you mm-hmm. said? Yeah, um, Monster Manual two. And it was literally just because we wanted a, kaiju, uh, uh, a Godzilla. Uh, presumably, Gary Gygax wanted Godzilla in the game, and uh, or there wasn't really a Godzilla monster in uh, a Monster Manual yet, so boop, it dropped in a big, scary super beast that sleeps on a planet for ages and ages and ages until something, who knows what, wakes it up and it goes on a rampage, eating everything it can uh, before it uh, returns to its dormant hibernetic state. What, uh, how how do you kill a Tarrasque? That is a very good question. You don't technically kill a Tarrasque. It is is technically unkillable. Um, You can, but uh, you can beat it down um, and uh, even if you, like, destroy it, it just kind of reappears somewhere else. Um, but that, of course, as a DM, you are licensed not to do that. If you want the players to walk around with, you know, Tarask head trophy, that's <laughs> fine. That's cool. I would. Tarask skin armor yes, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, in uh, God, second edition, Spelljammer came pinsetting, introduced the planet of the Tarasks, suggesting there were more than one. Uh, that was the first time where we actually, or was actually put in print that there were multiple Tarasks, as far as I know. What would a society of Tarasks be like? <laughs> or how um, is it posited Not on a that? lot of fine dining on that planet. <laughs> um, probably no china shops on that planet. Uh, I, I'm guessing it's a primordial wasteland with giant creatures butting heads constantly. Um, Ripping apart each other, yeah. feeding on each other? Maybe. Maybe they're cannibalistic in that way. If there's not much else to eat on that planet, they've probably eaten everything else on the planet. So they're probably just plowing into each other, smashing each other up. <coughs> um, but occasionally I, what happens is one of them gets flung off the planet or taken off the planet and ends up on a different planet somewhere. And that's where it's really happy because now it can go wacko crazy and not have any big brothers and big sisters around. I like that. I yeah. like that. Uh, definitely a high-level threat, you know, so you don't want to throw that at yes. anyone. Uh, yes. that's, what, what would you, what's the CR on a Tarrasque? Isn't it like 22 uh, curr- or something? Currently, I think we put it at, in, at 30 oh, wow. in, uh, in, in the book. So we wanted to make it like the, the primo monster, the ultimate. Have you ever used a Tarrasque in your, in your campaigns? I'd be lying if I said no. <laughs> well, yeah. I, now, I've never had one just sort of stomping around willy-nilly and the characters had to kill it. I've like suggested his presence or... It's like you walk into this giant cavern and there's this giant claw coming out of a wall and it's all sort of petrified and old and looks like it's been there for ages and ages and ages. Like, what is that? Oh, I don't I think I know what that is. Let's go the other way. That kind of thing. I like that. I like that too. And it creates the lore of like, you know, there are these huge things and you could use it down the line. Yeah. I like that. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you to uh, Critical underscore Dice for that question. Uh, we got one more left. I don't have to roll anything. Let's talk about Wild Space. Wild Space. Wild Space. Yes. Orcs in Wild Space. Uh, I believe we've mentioned this on a previous uh, Lore You Should Know, but uh, there's been you know, a lot of talk of Spelljammer and it being confirmed. Yes. Uh, so let's, <laughs> 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 let's toy with that even further. What Spelljammer is, is Wild not, Space? I repeat, not confirmed. <laughs> um, wild Space is... The space between the planets of the material plane. Um, it is like our space between here and Jupiter or here and Mars. It is space, cold and dark, full of stars. 
But um, in D&D, Wild Space came about in the Spelljammer campaign setting because there are ships that can cross from world to world. And uh, these ships create air envelopes around themselves so that characters on these ships can basically sail like they would sail a ship um, from one planet to another in the crystal spheres of our multiverse. Now, every campaign setting world up to that point was basically situated, pretty much all of our campaign settings were situated in their own crystal spheres. So the worlds of the Forgotten Realms solar system were in one crystal sphere. And when I say crystal sphere, I mean a sphere, a crystal, a sphere of crystal, so big and so vast that it encompasses the entire solar system. Ooh. And the stars are actually these sort of holes that pierce the crystal sphere through which light spills. And so once you got to the edge of your solar system, be it in the Forgotten Realms or in the Dragonlance worlds or wherever, you would eventually come to this shell with these apertures or holes in it that you could then pass through. And when you left a crystal sphere, you were in a region of ether called the Phlogiston. And you would have to sail through this ether realm to find another crystal sphere and another opening in it to enter that solar system. So think of them. Think of the crystal spheres as giant beads floating around in an ether, and you can theoretically get from one to the next by crossing through this material, the phlogiston. Wild space is not the phlogiston, and the phlogiston is not wild space. Wild okay. space is the space within each crystal sphere. Oh, so wild space. Okay, so the way it seems counterintuitive, but it is just the space in the, the yeah. these crystal spheres in between the planets right. that are in those yes. spheres. Yes. Okay. If you buy the whole Spelljammer idea of crystal spheres, wild space is what's separating the planets within a crystal sphere. Got it. Um, is there anything special properties of wild space? It is dark. It is space cold, and it's a vacuum. So just like our space. Yeah. But it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Can you see the planets within it? Like, is it, Are they uh, very prominent well, features of it? It'd be like it would be like us sailing a ship through the solar system, right? Yeah. Sure, we can see the planet if it's not on the far side of the sun. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Okay. Right? So it's just like the little pocket yeah. of, of reality, essentially. Right. Yeah. The space. There's a lot more wild space than there are planets in a crystal sphere. Got it. What about the planned TSR show, Wild Space? Do you know about this? <laughs> Yeah, I know about that. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if this is actually the question. Uh, or, oh, or, I see. Well, were we actually supposed to be talking about Wild Space, the, the aborted television show? Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, so there, was, there, were, there were plans in the works at one point for a Wild Space uh, TV show. Um, they, they did not bear fruit. Was it, uh, was it a, a pilot made or like how far along in the process was it? I honestly don't know. Um, nothing, nothing, as far as I know, came out of it. Not even a cell of film or anything. Oh, but I've seen a trailer. Well. I've, a trailer has occurred. Okay. And as when I got here four years yeah, ago, nothing, somehow... Nothing has ever been released. A VHS tape exists okay. that I currently have on my desk of, I think, this trailer. Okay. I don't have a VHS player to, to, to watch it. Okay. Well, uh, that's great. Uh, it is decidedly, you know, made in the early 90s. Mm. No, nothing was ever nothing was ever uh, poured out of that. Yeah, 
and I don't know the backstory. You don't? Oh, okay. No. Well, we'll have to. Well, so this is a call for all of y'all out there yeah. who may know more about this wild space. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe we have to get John Peterson. I was going to say the team behind. If, if anybody's chatted with anybody about it, it's probably John Peterson. Yeah, who's a legendary D and D historian. Yes, exactly. All right, we'll 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 dive deeper uh, into yeah. that. But uh, I, I yeah. believe it was just more. Of, it, it was just using the term wild space as a as a. I only know lore, Greg. I don't know like <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> soon, Chris. Soon. Soon. All right. Coming well, thank soon. you. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Wild Space 2, the movie, is, is confirmed uh, on this podcast. I, for one, would love to have a Wild Space uh, campaign right now, but I have too much on my plate. <laughs> I understood. Uh, we'll let you get back to your plate. Thank you so much uh, for entertaining these uh, amazing small fire away topics. Um, if people would like to talk more about lore that they should know, how can they get in touch with you? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll be back with. Some fun segments in the future. Thank you. That was, I mean, I could listen to Chris uh, bloviate <laughs> over and over. Don't steal my word. I know, I couldn't help it. Yeah, no, his his lore, I, I was like, I didn't know that lore, and now I know that lore, and I should have known it. Lore, you, you should know. Dun, dun, dun. dun. Everything it, you should know. Is there a theme or an icon or an, a logo for his segment? We do uh, the uh, – it's funny because it's from the soundtrack for the uh, Sharn source book ah. uh, from Eberron 3.5. Chris produced a CD of music that went, came with the book, and we have used that for our uh, segment stuff. Uh, Chris Perkins produced it? Yeah. What? I mean, he didn't make it, but he like hired the guy and worked with him on the how it should sound on each of the tracks and each of the cities and stuff. Why yeah, do we do which that I didn't often? find out until Chris Perkins told me that on a Lori Show. He's like, I produced that album. I'm like, I did not know that. Wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we've used that, and that one has a lot of bings and bongs in it, which is why we nice. say that. Oh, yeah. big, the it's, big bong. Time yeah, for the big bong. It starts bongs. with like a bell tolling in the in the beginning of it. Got it. Yeah. Um. But Ryan, did your uh, random character generator themes music? I haven't heard it. You've never listened to it? What is it with no, you? my co-hosts not listening to? I don't listen to my own content because, honestly... It feels <laughs> it, weird. It feels like something... I, this is very inappropriate. I'm not going to say it. It feels like drinking your own pee. I don't know. Like it's, <laughs> that's, that is... That's, Shelly, I think, would agree with that. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I don't even... I don't listen to the C-Team. I don't watch DM, games that I've DM'd. I watch like a minute of them to see like, did my hair look stupid? Nope. All right. All right, good. Good. Yeah, yeah that's it. I hear you. I, I, I hear you. I can't do it. It's tough. Well, yeah, I, I do it mostly for like, you know, content review purposes to be like, all right, did it work? Did it work? And then I end up just listening to it because I want to know that lore again. Because you love the sound of your own voice. I love the sound of Chris Perkins and all the people who are guests on this voice. I love other people's voices. That's yeah, true. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so speaking of other people's voices, this is the best segue again. Uh, let's talk to Goldie Chan. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get her in here. Let's bring her in. All right. Goldie! Get in here! <laughs> <laughs> Goldie Chan Yay! is here. Yay! Yes. The studio audience is eating it up. Eating it up. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Hi, Goldie. Good. Welcome to Renton. <laughs> sunny Renton. It is definitely not as sunny as Los Angeles, where we just flew in from uh, at 5 a.m. in the morning. So ah. I am tired. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you made it down. Yes. Uh, we were talking about you earlier. and Uh-oh. 
Yeah. Good things. All good things. <laughs> it was all good things. Um, I was mentioning that I've met you twice. You came into the office to do an interview with Satine, mm-hmm. and um, I got to be interviewed by you at The Descent for, was that for Forbes or LinkedIn? For Forbes. Okay. And so, and you are, will you tell the viewers at home, I described you before as a hustler. Like <laughs> when I look at your, your lead, this like lead sheet and everything that you've done, I see a person who is who's just like hustling to death. Like you are so inspirational. So give give the nice people a little rundown of what you're about. Well, my therapist calls it workaholism. Mm. Yes, but yes, that, that sounds right. <laughs> but outside of that, yes, let's call it a hustler because that sounds a lot nicer. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> but I love 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 stories. So. One of the things that I'm so thankful for is that now I write for Forbes and I write about storytelling and personal branding in the digital age. And of course, what I've done, and it makes my editor so nervous, is I talk about things like D&D. Why does that make him nervous? So I'm in the leadership section of Forbes. So most people talk about like, here's this corporate CEO. They've done this amazing thing. And I'm like, great, here's a bunch of people playing D&D. And this is why D&D is wonderful. And it teaches us about leadership because it absolutely, I mean, it absolutely does. To be a good DM or GM, you absolutely need to know about leadership. I've completely derailed from my own introduction. So I'm going to go back (laughs) and say, well, first of all, I love writing for Forbes, but also I'm the top video creator right now on LinkedIn. So I do daily, um, daily videos. It is a lot of work for anyone out there who's doing their own daily video channel or doing something amazing like this. You know that putting out a piece of content every single day is a ton. So much. It's so much. So, um, so I'm just happy to be creating content though. And it's, such a joy. And then on top of that, I run my own social media strategy agency where I get to work with brands like Adobe and Microsoft and things like that. Um, so that total business side of the actual B2B marketing and this super corporate stuff that I do find really interesting. But I also love forcing corporations to think about things like D&D and dragons and how they can teach their employees things. Right. Yep. So your daily show, what kind of stuff do you cover daily? I cover business, branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. I like to cover a lot of um, women who are doing really interesting things, people of color who are doing really interesting things. I was so, so excited when I got to come here last and interview Satine. Yes. And and really, it's so funny because I don't know if Satine knows this, but because I did that Forbes article on Satine and D&D, people have been using her as a case study in courses Oh, as like a really cool. interesting example of a personal brand, but not the kind of typical personal brand that we think of, but a personal brand within a niche. Yeah. Obviously the D&D niche and right. the RPG niche. That's so. so cool. Yeah. Wow. Satine the case study. I don't think she would have ever imagined that for I, herself. I don't, I don't think she would have either, but I mean, I have such fondness for Satine. She is so amazing. She's, 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 she's so, so pure. Pure. And, and you've known her so for much. a long time, right? Yeah, so I've, no- I've known her for a few years now, and I've kind of watched her ascent. Into- opposite of descent, yes. <laughs> opposite of descent, ascent into... Avernus. Avernus. No, <laughs> I know, I was, I was trying to get you to say that. I was trying to <laughs> Thank lead you. you up. Thank you for leading me. Um, I was trying... But anyways, she is so wonderful, and it's so nice to see that people are really starting to validate that mm-hmm. wonderfulness that she has and that she's so great in the community. She's so positive, and, you know, I don't swear a lot, but I will say it's really great that she kind of shuts down the shit talkers. Yeah. She does, yeah. yeah. 
yeah. with, with authority, which with is authority. like, no, this is it. This is way, you know, this is how you act. Right. And I will respond this way and this way if you act this way. She, she closes yeah. down the gossip, which, yeah. as we know in this community, <laughs> there's a lot of it. That's I don't true. know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, try to, I try to not get involved in it. <laughs> uh, one, one thing I really like about. Let's just. This is the Satine hour. This is the yeah, Satine appreciation. Is, this hour. is not even the Goldie yeah, interview like, anymore. This is the Satine interview. <laughs> I will be. I'll. We'll move off this in a second. But one of one of my favorite things about Satine was I loved that article that you wrote about her, and um, I, I learned a lot about her and her attitude toward being a DM that I didn't know and actually have sort of incorporated into my own dungeon mastering, which was great. As I, I got to learn about my friend Satine, and I, I got to uh, become a better dungeon master because of something that you wrote. So um, thank you. I'm a big fan. Oh, my gosh. Thank cool. you so much. Yeah, You set it up. So set you, up. in addition to all of this, um, it, it says, this is, this is a fun one, um, this line I wanted to ask you about. She loves turning a good brand story into a great one. Can you tell me more about what that means? Sure. So I work, like I said before, I work with a lot of corporate brands, a lot of actually very unsexy brands, and they don't always know how to tell their story, especially online. So they don't know how to get the right kind of people to want to purchase their products or use their services. So I always think about taking a good story and turning it to a great story means how do we get you to the right audience? How do we get your brand to the right place so you actually are reaching the right kind of audience? Now, for me to always bring it back a thousand percent to D&D, I love putting D&D on Forbes and getting people who are closet D&D players who don't want to admit that they play D&D but read Forbes and then suddenly it's validated because they're like, oh, wow, a huge publication like Forbes is featuring D&D. And I'm like, it's actually just this green-haired girl in a dragon onesie writing this at 1 a.m. Uh-huh. at night. But yes, exactly. Yeah. Forbes is featuring Forbes, Forbes is doing it. Forbes, yeah, is, Forbes. Exactly. Forbes is featuring this. I know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's Capital an important F. thing, though, in, in, in corporate America now. We had Rand Fishkin and Ian Laurie on here who are yeah. – I, I didn't even realize how large they were mm-hmm. in the corporate world as far as social media yeah. and, and uh, uh, SEO uh, type things. Um, and I had a colleague, a person who I actually played Dungeons and Dragons with in West Seattle, was like, "Oh, you should get them on board because I just was at some some conference and they were mentioning Dungeons and Dragons." And he like that day opened up and said, that, "Oh, you'd already talked to them." And but but Rand Fishkin's idea was like, "Oh yeah, he felt like he couldn't express himself and that he was a fan of Dungeons and Dragons until right. what's happening now." And so mm-hmm. maybe you could talk a little bit about how that you know you you being a part of it, putting it on Forbes and and having it be through this lens of how Dungeons & Dragons can be instructive in uh, fields that don't have to do with fantasy or or storytelling even really at all, Uh, how that's surfacing this is making the world a better place. I I just really feel that D&D has so many applications outside of we are, you know, the stereotype. We are four friends in a basement dungeon. None of us have ever showered before in our lives and we're playing D&D, right? I think that there is... Never showered before? That's, that's a, I don't know. <laughs> that's a stretch. Maybe once a month. Showers <laughs> once a month. I think that there is, first of all, there's already existing, like you said, contingency of people who are, it will surprise you how many CEOs admit to playing D&D when they were young. Yeah. And I've, I've had these people, very impressive people come up to me who have read my articles and they're like, hello, Goldie. I'm doing my best CEO voice. Hello, Goldie. Uh, I just saw your article on uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And, uh, I'm, I'm transported. <clears throat> and uh, I played when I was 12. And I'm just like, cool. I'm so glad. And 
they're, now they're thinking, how can I maybe bring it into the corporate office? Which I'm like, yes, yes. bring games into work because it's so great. It's a stress reliever. And for those of us like myself who are not physically super great at sports, it's a little bit of an easier thing to get everyone involved yeah. in because there is, of course, a learning curve. But doing that one shot, which is never one shot. <laughs> it starts doing, off that way. Doing the one shot that's really like three or four weeks um, is a great way to start bringing people together. And it's also really fun, I think, if you can bring together a group of people at work and then they can try to learn the rules of the game together. They can do proper fifth edition. <laughs> I've got a question. So yes. let's say someone is listening to this and they really want to bring they, – they want to bring D&D into their workplace – what is what is one of the biggest hurdles that people uh, complain to you about, uh, and how do you overcome it? How do you how do you get people to want to play D anD D as a team building thing? So it's so funny because I've gotten so many so many messages from people who have said, "I literally use your articles to tell my boss why we should have D anD D in the workplace," and then when they see Forbes is writing about it. They think, wow, okay, this is something valid. This is a true workplace exercise. This is HR approved, you know? Um, so that's the first thing I say. Just use the fact that Forbes wrote about it. Get them to be interested in it. But there's also a wealth of information out there. For example, there's the D&D starter kit um, just for physical things to bring in and show. But D&D is also just pop culture-wise, it's in so many interesting places right now. And I'm so fascinated yeah. by it in Stranger Things, of mm-hmm. course, and how we're seeing people suddenly be like, ooh, it's retro, so therefore cool, which I think is really funny because <laughs> they're watching this show about kids playing D&D in the past and now they want to play D&D in the present because somehow it reminds them of the past. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the nostalgia factor, the the legacy factor of D&D is a real thing for sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely It can sometimes work against people who may have uh, uh, had those ideas in the 80s and were like, well, wait a second, that's going back to the stereotype idea. Um, but what's fascinating about it now is that that is not the first reaction you get anymore. It used to be. I'd say like 10 years ago, people have had that you know, nine times out of ten, people who were not in the community would would react negatively. But now it's like, you know, four times out of ten. You know, and hopefully it'll get to zero times out of ten. But you know, like it's 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 finally. I don't know if it's the people who had those ideas in the eighties are dying off or what. But like, you know, it's it's getting uh, this idea that you don't have to be a specific thing. It's for everyone, and there's so many ways that you can get. Um, benefits out of the game that aren't even like the super nerdy benefits, right? They're the ones of just team building, speaking to each other, figuring out that there's different um, skill sets and and using those to your advantage. You need those for every project out there. And I think it's actually a huge confidence builder when you are in the seat of the DM or GM because you have to feel confident enough, even if it's just three or four of your friends, you have to feel confident enough to lead a group of people on a magical, mystical journey uh, through an orc-filled landscape <laughs> with dragons, etc., you have to feel comfortable enough to take them through that. And I agree that there is also quite a bit of strategy. It is incredibly strategic, and and I dare say more so than chess in some ways. Wow! Ooh. Why would you say that? 
throw in the dice. Yeah. It was like, I think <laughs> throw in the dice at chess. Like the, the game Screw des- chess. The game designer of chess is probably not alive to fight you on it, so no. it's a good target. No, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I will anger the dead. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you ab- about the... Um, well, that's also very D&D, angering the dead. Well, yeah, and that, that's true, right? That <laughs> kind of takes them. me to my next question you it, it says yes here, i am a necromancer thank you for asking yes <laughs> obviously i could tell just by looking at you but that you have an interest in the the anthropological side of dungeons and dragons can you yes. tell me more about that sure so i love sitting down and of course talking with people about their experiences with D but really from a historical perspective of, yeah, where was it in the 80s? Where was it in the 90s? Where is it now? And where will it be 10 years from now? And I think it's important to historically document these points in time and share them with people. So if they're, when they're playing D&D 20 years from now, they understand, oh, wow, in the, in the 2010s, <laughs> it was like this. D&D was perceived as this, thing that was slightly less nerdy now and mm-hmm. and slightly yeah. more mainstream. And we so can all owe that back to this one so Forbes funny. article that was written by <laughs> Goldie Chan right. in 1999 exactly. or, or 2019. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and now we drive dragon-shaped hovercrafts, so now we don't even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you said when they play. Like, it's going to be, like, mandated that, like, all people play Dungeons & Dragons 20 years from now? It will definitely be in all the schools. <laughs> I think so. It's it huge. It's, it's a actually, huge education I, tool. I believe that it should be and that it is so – it's so wonderful because it takes people outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that when I've been interviewing all these people who play Dungeons and Dragons, everything from our favorite celebrities who play, right, to people who are just Joe Schmo playing uh, with their friends. Some nobody. Some, some <laughs> nobody. Some not famous person. Apologies to everyone named Joe Schmo out there. I know. Sorry, Joe and Schmo. For, for everyone, it's a, it's a time to step away from being yourself and mm-hmm. to try on the shell of someone new. And this is to bring it all the way back to Satine, obviously. Uh, as it always does. As, as I always do. Satine and I were talking about this, how she loves that it empowers people to become something that they're not. Because sometimes it's really scary to be who we actually are. So sometimes it's nice to play a character who maybe is actually closer to ourselves than we'd care to admit. Investigating certain aspects of your personality that you may not be comfortable doing with without the elves and dragons and things going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also really like trying on things that would have never occurred to me as a character personality. So I've done this, I've I've started D&D, playing D&D about six years ago or so, but I always was into role-playing games when I was a kid. And I used to do this online Star Wars role-playing and I had a huge amount of characters and they all had different personalities that may or may not have been reflections of me, but I got to try them on like... um, you know, like going to a store and being like, I cannot rock that outfit, but nobody's going to see me. So I'm just going to try it on and see what it looks like. And surprisingly, sometimes you're like, that I works. love the way this it looks on me. Right? Right? This is this is so cool. I'm going to I am going to incorporate this into it's my It's like real your friend that always plays the paladin, right? They oh, oh my gosh, yep. that friend, we all have that friend, yep. uh, the paladin. Mm-hmm. It's always the paladin or a version of the paladin and then they try a half orc and they're like, "Oh, Hmm. Oh, half-orc hmm. paladin. Half-orc paladin. Half-orc paladin. <laughs> yes. Wait, now I definitely want everybody who's watching and listening, please let me know your half-orc paladin 
uh, character sheet. Please send, <laughs> yes. please send that to me. I want to know all your stats. It, totally. <laughs> yeah. People I, can get lost in their tropes. And then when they get for, and that's why I like, you know, mm-hmm. doing random characters because it forces people to be like, all right, this is outside of my comfort zone, totally. but how can I make it work? Yep. And you're right. And they'll discover new things about themselves it's because true. there's nothing like taking on a role that teaches empathy like this yes. does, right? And that's something that uh, uh, I think is, you know, there aren't a lot of sources for that in this world right and now. I love that you talked about empathy because I truly believe that D&D is in some ways, especially when done really well, is the embodiment of empathy because sure. you have to work in a group with people who are very different than you. I mean, they might be your friends in real life, but in your traveling group, they're probably quite different, yeah. right? Yeah, I think there is nothing that sounds more boring to me than a group of just paladins traveling together. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think we've paladin. established that paladins suck. <laughs> a lot of paladins to Goldie. today. No, no, no. They're just themselves. <laughs> <laughs> what's your What's your trope of choice? If you were to say, like, what is oh, the character man. that you always go to, uh, what would it be? I mean, I love orcs and tieflings. Yeah? Yeah. doesn't matter what class, just orcs no, and tieflings? Just, I, it doesn't matter what class. I just love a good orc and a good tiefling. Nice. I especially love if they've had a tortured backstory uh, and yeah. or if they're just really dumb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I really want to play a dumb character. I feel both of that definitely yeah. just embody me. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so I just like to play myself. I think, honestly, I think most people do. I think, I think a lot of, if you look at our characters, like on the C team, our, all of our characters, we are always making fun of each other because it's like, did Chris say that or did Kithris say that? I think, Ooh. yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was a little bit of both. A little bit of both. A little bit so of both. So I wanted to ask you, um, aside from, I guess also including the workspace uh, environments, the, the the office environments. What what do you think is causing D and D's resurgence into pop culture right now? Both both from a, a perspective of people who are wanting to play it in the office, mm-hmm. but also from the, just from a, a cultural popularity uh, hobby sure. viewpoint. So I think it's so fascinating, and I really do think part of it is that nostalgia element to it, is that people played or really wished they could play. So I meet so many people who say, you know, I wish I could have played when I was younger, but no one would play with me, slash I was so deeply embarrassed to ask anyone if they wanted to play with me. Um, it is, it is, <laughs> I almost hesitate to say this, it is in some ways like the porn of the game world where they're like, I really wanted to, but, uh, you know, I feel really embarrassed about it. And, and you I have don't to want, talk to other people about your secret thing that you really love. That secret thing that you really love. So I think part of it is that nostalgia slash that, oh, I really wanted to play when I was younger because I meet a lot of people who are, who I would say, you know, over 30 who really want to play and never got to play in their youth. Um, but I'm also starting to meet these really these much younger people, so they don't have that perspective. Yeah. They just see it as, oh, this is so retro. So there's nostalgia, and then there's retro. Mm. And I feel nostalgia is for that older set, and then retro is, wow, like my parents, <laughs> my parents played this. Like, oh, it's so it's so retro that it's mostly. Like, paper, that's crazy. You have a pencil. I mean, obviously, some of us play on our iPads, you know, whatever. But, <laughs> but you know, for the, we have still have these, like, real dice right. that we use. And, there, and that is retro, but in a fun way. 
I see. So are you saying like retro in that it, it is not digital? It's not digital. Right. I think and that, there's that, obviously that, digital aspects to it. Because so much of our lives are through the little rectangle yes. of our phones and, and all the people that communicate on social media in that way. Right. Yes. I think there is something for young people now uh, where and for parents, too, they get excited mm-hmm. about it. Like, oh, wait, my kid's going to be talking to other kids face to face around a table and they've got pens and papers and dice and they're like get excited about it just for that. I don't may not be the retro aspect of it. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that it's creating these bonds uh, that are face-to-face. That are face-to-face, that are in person, and that is incredibly important because as we get more digital, it's so much harder to find time to sit down with loved ones and do these in-person games. And D&D, once again, as we all know, whenever you try to do a one-shot, it's <laughs> it's never really a one-shot. I don't think I've ever played a one-shot that was actually just one day like three or four hours it's a misnomer it should be like a four shot (laughs) it's like a five shot (laughs) (laughs) so i think that's the best part is even when you're playing just a very simple one shot you are playing for at least a couple of sessions Mm -hmm. and so you have that extended face-to-face time i love hearing about people who have met friends some people have gotten married uh from meeting people at board game cafes and the cities that they live in uh it's just it feels so wonderfully nostalgic to be connected in person in that way. And D&D in so many ways allows for that. Mm -hmm. And so there is this, I think there's this increase of goodwill towards something that causes us to be more connected in person. It's just, it's so incredibly important. It's tied to that empathy that you were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. Even even just the act of sitting at a table and being near a human being, I think has like a physiological effect on your brain. Uh. Yeah? Did you like that word? Yeah. Well, so (laughs) this is my theory is that, this is totally groundbreaking, but (laughs) I think the internet is desensitizing people (laughs) into not realizing that real humans are at the ends of every single keyboard that's being used, right? Absolutely. And so it's very easy to be coarse and to um, be hateful or, or to dismiss because they're not, they're not real. They're just bites coming over the internet. But one of the nice things about Dungeons & Dragons, even if you play it on Skype, a lot, of, a lot of what I see are people who have at least a camera of their face, right? Like, because, because seeing a person's face is, is really important to how you react to the kinds of things that happen in a Dungeons & Dragons game. And so you do get sort of a, an unconscious lesson in empathy, no matter what age you are. And this ties into something else that I wanted to ask you about, uh, which is making it okay for adults to play D&D, right? I, f- I think about this a lot, too. So I wanted to see, like, how, wh- what do you, what feelings do you have about that? How would you encourage adults who are feeling shy to play Dungeons & Dragons? And why do you think it's important? Well, it's never okay for a dog. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just end it right here. Table flip. No more. Um, after no 12, more. you're done. Yeah, after 12 and a half, 12 and three quarters. <laughs> mandated by law. Mandated by law. Mandated by this authoritative law. I'm also lawful evil, so of course I would have a lot no. of that. Oh, that's um, a necromancer coming out in you. Right. <laughs> uh I think that, of course, I mean, we're all sitting here. We're hopefully all mostly adults. Mm. Uh, nah. uh, debatable. <laughs> but uh, obviously, being an adult, playing d and I think, is so, so helpful because some of us, between the points of youth, youthness, <laughs> not a word, and adulthood, we never learned these leadership skills. Maybe we grew up in environments where we didn't feel comfortable opening up 
to others, right? And so D&D allows for so many of these soft skills that we don't think about that. And it makes it a very safe environment because you're not usually, <laughs> I mean, bless if you are, if you're doing like a D&D game with like 12 or 13 other people, Whew. that's insane. <laughs> but most of us are probably not doing that. So we're doing it with a pretty small group of people. So it's a much safer space to experiment, right? To, mm-hmm. And that empathy that we were talking about, that leadership that we were talking about, you can learn all of these really wonderful things in a small, safe setting. And that is so important for adults because as adults, we often get so set in our ways. And we also want to be perceived as a certain thing because we've worked our whole life towards it. We're always marching. We're always marching. This is my marching arms. Um, <laughs> you you are likely trying to be seen as an adult. And I think serious, like you're dealing with problems that only serious people can deal with, right? And I think you lose the sense of play. Yes, that is really what is what's human, right? That's completely true. I think we all need play in our life, and even as adults, it's so important to play so we also remember joy. Because for some, and especially right now, not going to go into it, but it is a very heavy time in our world, whatever you believe. And it's so important to have places where we can play in a safe space with others. Mm-hmm. It's a great stress reliever. Um, it is a wonderful way to connect with friends, with family, with new friends. Yeah. So to me, it's so wonderful in so many ways that as an adult, we can we can actually appreciate, I think, some more of the ways than when we were kids and playing D&D. And it was just, it was like fun, 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 right? Fun, fun in the sun. <laughs> I heard this thing yesterday that probably not in the sun. You're not playing. DD you in might the play D&D in the sun. Seattle, but I not wouldn't. Seattle. I'm, cur- I'm now curious Sorry. if anyone ever played like a sun sunny game of D and D. I wonder where that would be. At yeah. the beach. At the beach. Yeah. yeah. A lot of flying D&D away. D and D the beach. I feel like that would be terrible. Yeah, because you'd lose the dice in the beach. You'd lose like if you were playing with minis. Oh my gosh, could you imagine minis? Oh my gosh, but imagine beach. imagine if you had like the sandcastle you had just made. That, yes. Like all your minis are attacking and, and then, a big and wave then the comes. Water, yeah, the wave. Integrated into the game all of a sudden Poseidon came and destroyed your realms forever and then you lost $250 worth of minis yep <laughs> <laughs> but it was an offering to the god of the sea yeah, yeah. Was that praise her name god of sea. praise her name praise her really. name so I have a I, I, I've heard this thing yesterday that I really liked which and, and you were talking about adults playing like so having that sense of play um, and I was thinking about why why it's hard as an adult to play like why we lose that why we don't play with others especially and my feeling on this is that it has to do with fear. Like you don't want to be made fun of, right? You don't want to seem uncool. Um, you don't want to leave yourself open for ridicule. And playing pretend with your friends, if that's how you were to couch it, that would be something that people might make fun of you for, right? So one of the things that I really like about Dungeons & Dragons is that it gives you permission to play, right? Mm-hmm. It, that is, I think, the number one most valuable thing about the design of our game is that you are given permission to play. But I heard this wonderful thing yesterday that I keeps bouncing around in my head that um, vulnerability breeds creativity. Mm-hmm. And this was in the context of a code of conduct training that we were doing here at work. So this is like a workplace thing. It's like you want to be vulnerable with your coworkers because that's how you get good ideas because you're not afraid. Yeah. But I think that's true for Dungeons & Dragons too. Like the, the, the best games of Dungeons & Dragons that I have ever had were me being vulnerable in front of 
people around me who supported it, you know, and that bred creativity for them. It bred creativity for me. Um, and I, th- I think what you were saying about adults playing and, and I, I think that having that sense of like being feeling safe, that safe space, mm-hmm. feeling safe to be vulnerable is a big part of why Dungeons and Dragons works and why you get these lessons in empathy. Right, I compl- that was beautiful. Was I'm just clapping. Beautiful. I'm yeah. clapping right. right now. The claps. Yeah, the claps. shut yeah. it down. Woo! Shut it all down. We're done now. Ah, um, it. But I mean, I I, I want to uh, like uh, build on that because mm-hmm. as as a parent, I see a lot of uh, other parents when I tell them what I, you know what I do or, or or that they should play Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it they can't seem how to integrate it into their lives because they have this role in their families and in their households as being the, the, the serious person or the person that gets things done or who has to always be you know, mindful of what the children are doing and making sure that they're safe, right? And you're right. It is almost opening yourself up to the vulnerability that you could be hurt, not only um, in that household setting, but with peers, Yes. Which is another thing you're like, whoa, wait a second. I'm not just opening myself up to my, to my spouse or, 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 or my loved ones. I'm opening them up to you know, people that I would be shooting the shit at the water cooler about, right? right. And that is something that can be you know, daunting. And that's a lot, a lot of people lose that play. They lose that vulnerability because they're like, well, I, that's, I mean, I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm, I'm the adult here. Right. Yeah. And I want to add just another layer on top of that, which is as adults, we have these very intense power dynamics, especially at our workplace, wherever you work, um, or just in life in general. There's, there's these levels of power and certain people are more powerful than others. And so when we think about D&D, that turns it on its head because who knows what you, might happen to your character? Yeah. Who knows what what you'll roll for your character's stats, it really makes it much harder to stay in your little box of predictability um, and also authority because you may have to be the weaker character. You yeah. may have to be a flawed character. In fact, you probably will be all of those things if you're playing it well. Yeah. Um, and, it's fascinating. And it's so, it's so interesting just to think about how D&D really allows people to be flawed. And as adults, we're not allowed to be flawed That's a true. lot because yeah. we have to pay rent or mortgage. We have to take care of our families. We have to look good on Instagram. We have to look good on Insta. Yep. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. The most important part Obviously. of those three things. <laughs> it, it contributes. That was, that was definitely kind of cheeky, but it contributes to this thing of like the, the idea that everyone's Everyone else's lives are perfect because mm-hmm. you see them through social media so much. Yeah. And so you there's even more pressure now to be like the stand-up adult, to, mm-hmm. to be perfect and to to like hold that power dynamic as hard as you can, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, this like this fear of being vulnerable, it's kind of a big deal. I want to t- kind of switch topics because I have so much to talk to you about. We have so little time. Yeah. But <laughs> one of the things that I really wanted to ask you, and this is gonna be, I want I'm gonna ask you very serious question and I want you to be super brutally honest okay. but I want to talk about um, people of color both in the Dungeons and Dragons community but also as represented in Dungeons and Dragons as a game and I want to hear I want to hear your <laughs> thoughts I want to I want you to spill all the tea on me please do we have tea we have coffee. I have, I have water, so <laughs> pours, pours it all over the electronic equipment <laughs> and I'll set you up for this we are doing 
a better job than we have in the past, Mm -hmm. but we can do better. And so as a woman of color, I would really love to hear like your blisteringly honest thoughts on this. Well, I think it's funny because, I mean, first of all, I'm an Asian woman with bright green hair, so everyone already assumes that I'm a cartoon character anyways. Um, (laughs) Well, you're not? I am! (laughs) Um, But if we want to think about people of color playing D&D, it's just, it's so few and far between of the people who are visible. How about that? That's true. So there are a ton, a ton of people playing these secret underground D&D brawler type games, fisticuffs, um, where they are playing with their friends and they are people of color, but they don't feel comfortable enough to bring it out in the open. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. What are you talking about? I've never heard of this. Yeah. Tell so, me more. So there are just... I just know a bunch of people, they're very shy and or they're worried about what other people of color will think. For example, I have a couple of Asian friends who play and they play with, they play in a group of four, it's four Asian people, and they don't want their other Asian friends to know because they're so worried that this will put a dent in their EDM coolness (laughs) they've accumulated over the years and so they played like very as in like i've been sworn well your secret's blown um i've been people know now sorry mark um you're you're (laughs) you're watching this right now um i will give you my left arm uh but yes there's this entire secret set of people of color who don't want to publicly say anything because they are held to a higher standard of cool or what they perceive as cool. So they don't want other people just to even know that they play, but they definitely are playing, but they don't want to be public with it. And they're they're worried about the judgment of other people of, of color? Of their peers, yeah, which so is so fascinating. What is the worst case scenario there? Like, what are they afraid? Like, they'll be ostracized and that other Asian folks will tell them that they're nerdy or too nerdy or... Yeah, I think they'll... Which is so ironic in so many ways based <laughs> off Asian stereotypes. But, um, yeah, I think that they're worried that they'll be told they're too nerdy, but nerdy in the wrong way. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic of of people of color where there are some groups that are out there that they play very underground games and they don't like to talk publicly about it but they are playing these games and you think visibility if for instance if we had a like a a, a Matt Mercer or a, a Joe Manganello that was Asian that that might shift perception I absolutely think it would right I I think that because there isn't one person who really stands out specifically in the Asian community to represent all, which is such a daunting task and of who course. can be this yeah. person, yeah. but, you know, represent like all Asian players in, in Dungeons and Dragons. It's, but it is interesting to see how these underground games have kind of started to brew. And, um, and I've just heard of a couple because I'll say I'll, I wrote about it and they're like, oh, yeah, you can't tell anyone, but I definitely play. And I hear that a lot. That's amazing. I, I hear that phrase a lot. You can't tell anyone, well, it, but it, I play. It's <laughs> funny because that dovetails a lot with even what Joe Manganiello said, you know, 10, 15 years ago when he was in the movie business and getting – he was playing, you know, somewhat throughout – those or at least had those tendencies back when he was a kid, but he was ashamed to just talk about it publicly. To say something. Even Rand Fishkin, like again, they all had these things that they wanted to mm-hmm. talk about it, but it feels like now is the point where it's starting to be mainstream enough. Where all right, it's definitely a decision that every individual person has to make, but more and more people are making those decisions I think it's based on how many people more. are seeing. Absolutely, I think it's definitely getting more present, and I think that there are more people of color who are 
I mean, we just need to look at Twitch, right? And YouTube, and we can see that there are more people of color playing D&D publicly, which is wonderful. I'm so excited whenever I see people of color play. I'll say I actually got flamed. So this is a perfect example. So there was an article that came out, I want to say by Bloomberg, um, about uh, DMs or GMs. The Rise of the Dungeon Master. Yes. Who are paid... they're per hour, yeah. paid yeah. per hour and blah, blah, blah. And that's not what I was commenting on. So I shared this and I just said, you know, just based off the names that they mentioned in here, this is why I actually like to mention a lot of female DMs and DMs of color or just players yeah. <laughs> of I did see color. A lot of, a lot of white guys in that article. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and if they're talented, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I also have to say there's still – it's still great to have some diversity. So I just said very lightly, like, this is why I personally like to cover more people of color. And then the comment section, as we've all had at some point in our, our D and D career lives, uh, flames, just like fiery flames of Azeroth <laughs> devil. Um, there. The Avernus fire. The Avernus fire. Yeah. Bring it back. Um, Always be bring, branded. Bring it back. Um, <laughs> September 17th. <laughs> September 17th. <laughs> Boy, it, no, pre-order join, join now. Join the trolls in hell. <laughs> um, yay. Uh, so there, <laughs> I just got so so trolled by these people who and this one guy we actually had a very civil back and forth because like oh but these are all the greatest dms he's like you should just focus on only the best dms and he's like these are the best dms i was like well i could argue with that just honestly just on that ultimate scale i could argue just among the white men that you pick but (laughs) outside of that i just think it's important to spotlight just a little bit more diversity. And we had this like actually pretty civil back and forth where I said, you know, I'm spotlighting people who are just great, but have just never been in the press before. He's like, oh, I guess I could understand that a little bit more. And I'm like, ha, arguing with my trolls. I know I shouldn't, but I absolutely am doing it right now. Sometimes you can't resist. Sometimes you can't resist. And And sometimes you do. I mean, everyone says you can't change anyone's mind, but like that's a case where at least you put a new idea in their head and and then they'll ruminate on it. He was like, oh yeah, I guess you're just featuring people who have just never been people, right? Not men or women or people of color, just people who have just never been featured in press before. He's like, I get that. Uh, he's like, I understand that. I was like, Yay! Here's Yay. your gold star. Like, yeah, right? congratulations. Because that's what journalism does. It <laughs> yeah, t- teaches you about things you may Ho- not know about. Hopefully, it does teach you about things you may not know about. But yeah, I I thought it was so interesting how many white men flamed me in my comments, which is not surprising. And and a, quite a few white women actually also flamed me. Um, and and just how many people of color retweeted that particular mm. tweet. Without commenting on it, which I also think is really fascinating, they just shared it into their feed, but they didn't do like an affirming comment or like, I totally agree with you. It was just like a quiet, like, here you go into my feed because I want other people to see this particular comment. And I think think that's a lot of what's happening right now. There is a shift, but it is slow. And I, I mean, I would love, love, love to see more female DMs, GMs. And I would well, love to see more people of color really present and leading shows. And, and you know what I have to say, when, even when I was at um, Legendary and I was working on Geek and Sundry and Nerdist stuff, I really advocated for some of the people of color there to be more present yeah. on shows that they were running there. And, and in some ways, you know, there were times I got actually quite a bit 
of pushback from people because they're like, but they're not the, and we're, I'm not going to name names because we're not going to name names here. But This is a safe space. This is a safe space. But they're like, why not this other person who's not a person of color? And I'm like, well, the whole point is that, right. you know. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, let me follow up on this a little bit because I think there's a lot that, you know, obviously women and people of color can do to, yeah. to, to advocate for themselves. But, I mean, honestly, as a white person who's a man, uh, I made it <gasps> a point to— Wait, what? To, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know, right? It's true. Surprise. I am, uh, uh, but, I, you know, I made it a point to try and highlight as many uh, uh, folks who weren't getting that spotlight yeah. in, the, in the past— um, you do a great job of it, sir. Oh, well, thank you. I don't, I don't <laughs> want the cookie. I just want, I, 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 Here's the cookie. <laughs> I don't want any of that. I want you to talk like to folks in the audience who may be like me, what are ways that they can do things so that it's not just all the burden on uh, the folks who may not be spotlit, if that makes sense. I know. I, I never know how to say spotlit, spotlight. Spotlighted. Spotlighted. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's including different people just into your everyday games. Right, so it's yeah. not having a game that looks really uniform, whatever, whatever actually race you are, whatever type of way you identify. It's having a mixed group of people playing a game. So that's the first level is just including everyone into your everyday games that you're already playing. And then the second thing is if you see a wonderful female DM or GM or you see somebody of color who is doing something really interesting and maybe they're running a smaller game or a smaller channel, that you just share it. You just tweet it out. You share it on your social media. It sounds really simple. And even if you have, say, just 20 followers, that means a lot to that person that you shared out their content. Mm -hmm. And that not only means a lot to that person, it means a lot to the community because you are helping. And that is, to me, only positive is when we share and we help and we uplift each other. So I'm going to do a little shout out to a podcast called the D20 Dames. Uh, We we have featured them before, but they are all women and I think majority women of color. Um, And I absolutely love their show. So if you want to put your money where your mouth is, after listening to this podcast, I, I recommend them. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the second half of that question. In fifth edition itself, in the design of fifth edition, and this is the part where I really want to like mm. hear your honest mm. take because she I'll wants be, to get some consulting. Here well, for yeah, you. it's just a little on-air free consulting. <laughs> Should I tell you how much my hourly consulting rate is? No, <laughs> Honestly, we it's can talk one, about it afterwards. One d twenty. Let's talk about it afterwards. I'll just roll the twenty and then yeah, five, five, five million dollars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but to be perfectly Bro. honest with you, we don't have any people of color on our design team at all. Yes. And so, and you're like, yes, sorry, it's yes. obvious. So last time I came here, I got a beautiful tour and I will say I was so excited to see how many women a lot. work on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I was shocked because I was expecting a much more homogenous group of people. Why are you looking so, at me? <laughs> I was looking at you. I mean, really, we're making really direct eye contact right now. I was trying to look at Kate instead. Um, I was expecting actually a much more white male, Same. let's just name it out loud, Same. Um, group of people here, and I didn't see that. So that was really exciting for me to see. Do I see people of color here? No. <laughs> we have one. <laughs> we have one, yes, but uh, she's she's not on the like the game design side. She's right. in she's one of our art directors, which is cool, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, oh, five E, please uh, let's hear it. Well, you know what? It's so funny because everything is made up, right? These are not real characters. Like with these classes, they're literally classes of imaginary 
beings. So when I think about when I think about fifth edition, which which in so many ways is the most beloved edition of D and D, I think that people are taking it and I. I will say this. I will start with the opinion outside of myself and then I'll get into what I think. When I've asked people what they think of 5th edition, I've almost never heard people say, oh my gosh, I think 5th edition is the R word racist, right? I think 5th edition is exclusionary. I I don't think I've ever actually heard that explicitly from anyone, which is a really good sign. Yeah, (laughs) so it's a good start. That's a good start. So I'll say that. Um, For my personal take, I... I just think that sometimes when you get into – because obviously it's a book and and it's a book made of words <laughs> and, and the and words are – And paper and glue. And, and uh-huh. paper and glue and the, and the words are stringed together into these sentences and just sometimes the sentences lean towards something that feels a little bit, you know, racially toned. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing that's outwardly like, I'm like, oh my God, why do you have this class in here? I'm so horrified. I can't play this because I have to boycott it. You know, mm. not, I don't really get that at all from fifth. I mean, I also would just never talk about D&D, I think, if I felt that way about fifth edition, to be totally honest. Of course. I just think that there are, because copy is so important, I think it's actually in the words. I think you're right. There's so let me give you an example of something yeah. I heard recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow a bunch of uh, people of color in the tabletop space mm-hmm. because I I am uh, the whitest you can be, and there's you're it's, beautiful. It's a thank you so much. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that comes with being white is that you don't have the lived experience of other people, and so I find those perspectives really interesting, and I'm I'm always listening. And one of the things there's this um, there's this C team fan uh, named Dunami on Twitter, mm-hmm. and he was tweeting about. Um, traveling rations as they're represented in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. And uh, he's Asian and he was like, this is the the traveling rations section. It's the super small thing, but these traveling rations are Eurocentric white fantasy. Yep. Like uh, if it, in, in Japanese and in Chinese and Middle Eastern culture, the traveling rations would be something totally different. Mm-hmm. I was talking to one of our interns just the other day, um, this this uh, guy named Taymor, who is Pakistani, and he was telling me that back in the day, way back in the day, traveling rations in the Middle East, just a pouch of spices. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, that is so cool. I would not have known that. Mm -hmm. I would not have even thought that like something, a small tweak like that could make all the difference to people who are like, "Uh, yes, I see my Middle Eastern fantasy world represented in fifth edition in this way. And so th- when, you, when you say it's the words, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think we've, we've done a pretty good job with the art. We're always yes. trying to do better. But the words, like we, we need more perspectives. Yes. And I, once again, the art is gorgeous. So I have zero comments really to say on the art because I love, love, love the art in fifth edition. But I'm, number one, I'm so excited we're talking about food. So I know. Let's just go into that. Are you as hungry as I am? Because I skipped lunch. Let's just go into the tavern right now. Can we just order something (laughs) and bring it in? Um, I think that's really interesting. One thing that just, as both of you guys were talking, I thought of, and I wonder if it's something that 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 you know maybe we should we should look into more is the idea of of words and semantics. Um, We use you know the Chicago Manual of Style and how Mm -hmm. we word things, Mm -hmm. but I mean, let's be honest, that can be a very much like, hey, this is how. 
white scientists have wanted to write or, you know, publications have been writing about forever. And just even the phrasing of things can feel Mm -hmm. off-putting to people from different communities. I hadn't even thought of it that way. And I think that's that's exactly what I was speaking to before is even the structure. And I write for Forbes, so I have to write to a certain level too. So I probably – Corporate speak. I write very similarly probably to the way you guys write. Um, But I also know that when I'm playing games, you – the words are so important. I feel like words are so underrated. Mm. Um, and words create this atmosphere that feels like home when they're done really well. Mm-hmm. And I know that whenever you're doing a manual, though, let's be honest, you're doing a manual. So it has to be a little bit cut and dry and without right. that. For clarity. For clarity. But right. But what's clear to a person of color who comes from a, from know, a, a different speaker, country. Yeah. And I love that you said Eurocentric because – that is what I was dancing around. <laughs> yes. So it does feel incredibly, incredibly Eurocentric. Now, I was born in the U.S., and so a lot of my viewpoints are very American, love Texas, you know, like <laughs> um, I own a very embarrassing pair of cowboy boots. Uh, <laughs> but right no, no, you don't have them on now. Dang it. I know they're white. They have rhinestones. Yes. They're wow. Yeah, no, I bought them at a proper cowboy store. Yes. Uh, let's just keep talking about cowboy boots. Uh, <laughs> Put cowboy boots into the next edition. <laughs> magic, <laughs> magic, problem. jumping Mag- boots. Magic yeah. jumping boots. Um, but yeah, I think that's an incredibly Eurocentric version of this game. But I, you know what I love? I love, I love, and I'm sure you guys have seen this before too, is that people will sometimes play D&D and they will put in their own cultural references into D&D. So they'll build, I mean, they'll obviously stray away from the manual, but they build in that cultural side, and that's what I absolutely love, is I love when they take the essence, the heart of yeah. D&D, yeah. and they take the heart of 5e, and they they really put in their own ideas and their own histories into it, because that is, I'm going to cry, this is this is really what is the most beautiful part about D&D. And that's what it's designed for. Yeah, look, yeah I'm making Kate cry, because we're crying. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> crying about beautiful parts of D&D. But that's, that's what D&D is designed for, is for you to... Take the parts you like and then change the rest of it, right? Like we say that at the beginning of the Dungeon Master's Guide, I think it is. Mm-hmm. It's like you take take whatever systems out of this you want, take the rules as we as we have written them and make them fun for your table, whether that means a whole new setting, um, new traveling rations mm-hmm. that reflect the cultures that you want to reflect in your table. All of that is I mean, I would love to see designed. a book, and I think I just saw something on Twitter about this, but I don't think it was officially through D&D, but it was um, all of these extra rules around taverns and around um, food and around uh, alcoholic beverages yeah. and around all this stuff. Was that through? That's no, not, it's on the Dungeon Master's Guild. On it's, the Dungeon uh, Master's taverns, Guild. tap rooms. Yes, and I just saw that. Um, and something else. And something else. I think it's inns. And something, something. Um, but I saw that and I was like, now this is brilliant because this is an additional guide Right, that could maybe come officially from D and D, truly officially from D and D, and be very global. Mm-hmm. So you could take fifth edition, which I think it's really hard to modify this book that's meant to be kind of the cornerstone, and then you can add more flavor by having something that's like, well, this is an official. Like the Dungeon Master, this is an official supplement. So if you want to switch out this, let's think about switching out this with this other culturally relevant thing. I love, I always love that idea, which is making something, making it official, so people don't feel like okay, this is just the they just 
made this as an afterthought, but it's an official add-on. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, everyone loves to have 50 million D&D books in their home. Yes. So- everyone, <laughs> everyone on earth loves that. Loves that. Loves that. Yes. Especially so- the spouses of the people who are the fans. <laughs> that's they right. really love that. Yep. Yes. Um, I think that's fantastic. I totally- Tell us more about your spouse loving those D&D books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Well, that's a, maybe, so we have to have you back on for more interview uh, topics on that because yes. uh, that's... I have so much, so many more questions. So many more questions. We will talk about your consulting fee after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ready to roll that D20. Yeah. Nice. Uh, 20 times five. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yes. I, I mean, I, I we, we, we gave a shout out to D20 Dames. I think it would be a, a good shout out to Tales from the Mist, who is on mm-hmm. the D&D channel, mm-hmm. who has uh, many people of color. in Rivals of Waterdeep. W- exactly. Yep. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, I, I didn't, I don't and, want any cookies, but I do want to say like. And I'm, I do want to say because I have him here and he's on my team. Um, Art Vega is part of Perception Studios, and so they actually are very diverse-friendly, diversity-friendly, so I adore them. And they play with puppets, which people are often creeped out by. Incredible. <laughs> they are pro-puppet. Uh, nice. So we have to get more puppet culture in uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Yep. Right, more Pelham? diversity. More right, diversity Pelham? in puppets. Yeah. No, Pelham <laughs> no. no puppets. He's, he, we tried. He, he's, he's too traumatized by uh, 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 horror movies from, from back in the day. It's nostalgic. It's nostalgia, <laughs> not right. trauma. It's nostalgia. It's nostalgia trauma. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for being here. It's always good to uh, have you come visit the office. Uh, Goldie Chan, how can people find out all of the things? Since you're a hustler and you've done all of them, uh, yeah. how can people find every single one of your uh, articles? So, List all the URLs in comp. <laughs> I know. I was like, Completely. oh, gosh. I have to remember all my URLs. Well, no, if you Google kidding. Forbes and Goldie Chan, Hopefully, you likely get me. Uh-huh. So I'm going to say that because I don't want to say the URL right now. But I use Lycos. Is that going to work as well? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Dude, nice. I hope you use Alta Vista. <laughs> um, and then you can always find me on Twitter at Goldie Chan. You can find me on Instagram at Goldie Cylon because I love Battlestar Galactica. <gasps> Perfect. <gasps> we can talk four hours about that. Nice. Um, and then you can obviously find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Goldie. And I don't add people on Facebook, so don't try to add me. Nice. <laughs> I just now I just want to play the Battlestar Galactica board game with you. I know that is my favorite good. board game. It, it's well, good. It's so creepy and weird. Yeah, I love it. Yes, I love it. All right, I love it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Okay. I love talking to Goldie. She is she's like a bright light. There's like beams on like all of the community, but also just on what we do here. She does. And I personally find her incredibly inspiring. It has been so cool to talk to her. Right? The, the, the times that I've gotten to talk to her in the office and at the descent and then um, getting to pick her brain in this interview, just awesome. Yeah, good stuff all around. More stuff will be coming yes. uh, down the pike. Do you say down the pipe or down the pike? I know that down the pike is correct, but down the pipe just sounds better. It sounds better, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, that feels like a, uh, uh, I know what the rules as written are, yep. but I don't care. Yep. It's raw. It's raw, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I go. I go rad. I support this. Rules as designed. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Uh, we have, as uh, we mentioned in the intro, all the fun stuff coming in the fall. But one thing we didn't mention was the dice set, which I keep like uh, uh, seeing pictures of and being like immediately oh. like I want that in my life right yeah. now more often. My favorite thing about this dice set is again, poof, Emmy. Tanji, the yes. MVP of this show, right. she designed the living heck out of this thing, and it has this beautiful foil uh, in the design on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's it's all shiny, and it's covered in a vernal in, infernal script. A vernal, a vernal script. A vernal script. That's better. We're changing it. We're sh- 
Um, so it's it's covered, covered in Infernal Script, which is a real font that we designed that you can decode through, and it's, it's all over the the Avernus products. But the best part is that the box opens into two pieces, of course, and the dice are inside. But I think on both sides of it, it's covered in black felt, and it's this heavy duty cardboard mm-hmm. cardstock, and so boom, instant dice tray. And it's just beautiful. So, and it's got it's got all these monster cards and all kinds of other good stuff in there too. Which I it's, that's all great. I love it. But I'm here for the I'm here for that dice tray. I love I love like the dual purpose of something like that. And you get two dice trays out yeah, of it, right? So, so you one can for share you, one for a friend. Yeah, or roll uh, roll dice for uh, like the the bad behaving dice. They they get their own tray. They go in dice. Yeah, tray. it's like a dice yeah. jail. Yeah. I like that. I like that too. Yeah, and I, all the fun game element stuff that's in the miscellany part of the Dice and Miscellany set. I didn't realize how, like, it's basically stuff that you can use in your game so easily. Like, there's a trinket list. There's, mm-hmm. like, you know, encounters you can have in Avernus, all the stuff that was, you know, ancillary to what's in the adventure itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just brings it more to life. Yeah, I think a lot of the content is in the Descent into Avernus book. I don't... Oh, I don't, is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But... One of the nice things about the the miscellany products is that the user experience is just better mm. to have cards that you can refer to without having to flip back and forth. Even if you bookmark everything you want in in the the actual source book, having having cards that you can just like, oh yeah, um, here's the monster stat block for this thing. Like that is that's super super nice. I've always liked stuff like that. I dig that too, and that's one of my favorite parts about the essentials kit <clears throat> as well is having those tactile sidekick uh, uh, cards has increased the fun value of getting people into the what, what makes the storytelling so fun about that. Yeah. It really has. I agree. My, my kids, you know, eight and six, latched on to like, oh, this, they actually have, you know, they have something to look at and physically hold that is the sidekick that they're recruiting into their party. And That's it, awesome. it makes everything better. That's really cool. Yeah, I dig it. So Essentials Kit is going to be out September 3rd everywhere. You'll be able to get it. Every store, every place that carries Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so look forward to that. That's actually also very soon. That's really that's you know less than a month away oh from when we're recording this. Yeah, yeah. So look for it. I know um, Target has had it in North America. And uh, has been sold out. And has been sold out. It's been hard to find. We totally have gotten people have been like, hey, it's here. I can't find it here. You know, totally get all that. Um, but Chris, Chris Funk hit me up. December is Chris Funk. He's yeah. like, hey. Where's this essentials kit? I can't find it at Target. I was just imagining him like going Target to Target. This poor, this poor soul, <laughs> this poor rock star can't find his essentials kit at Target. Yeah, I was like, too bad, so sad. He's like it's a, very popular. Too bad, so sad. <laughs> My six year old said that I to me said all that the time. Since I was six. I know. Too bad, so sad. Uh, I just imagine Chris Funk like with his like funky hat mm-hmm. and his like guitar strapped on his back going into Target, being like, yeah. "Where's the essentials kit?" Yeah, at? yeah, that's exactly what I was picturing. Yeah, exactly. With like this emanation of funk. Coming uh-huh. off of him. Yep. He's a funky dude. <laughs> he smells very nice. <laughs> contrary, contrary to popular belief. Uh, that's exciting. I, I can't wait for more people to, to, to jump into that. And that is, you know, contrary to the, the Rick and Morty like starter set, it is specifically designed for getting new players in and mm-hmm. getting them on board. And I think it does a really good job of that. So uh, exciting stuff. All right. I think we've talked enough. Have we talked enough? Yeah, I think we have. I think we've gotten everything we need. We just needed to sit in this room for two more hours and talk more. (laughs) Um, Before we do that, let's look investigate the the top of this this tunnel because it's got this loose rock. Do you see? I do. What's happening up there? What's going on there? I don't know. Uh, All right. Do you want to get up there? I think I'm. All right. You want to give me a boost? Yeah, I'll boost you up. All right. Ready? Ready. One, two, three. Ah! The pop filter. Oh my gosh. There's a lot more rocks up there than I thought. Greg's dead. He died. 
It's just me now. Welcome to Solo Dragon Talk. I'm your host, Shelly Mazanova. I'm here to get a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs>